We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. Colin Kaepernick, you know, what's happened with him not being able to get back into the league. But there's some quarterbacks out there that he's clearly better than whether that's starter or backup, and he's not on the roster. And then the ad Nike recently released with the Jets do it and kind of using him as one of the faces. Looking at CTE, the movie Concussion came out with Will Smith in it, and it, it, it placed an emphasis on the head-to-head contact and some of the issues that happens with the brain moving uh, within the actual skull. So the impact that's had on the sport itself, it's always interesting that people talk about money can't buy you happiness and, and how you go from not having a lot of money to having a lot of money and, and not being content with it. As I talk to more and more athletes, we all start to realize that the material things aren't what makes you happy. It's, it's being able to enjoy the little things, but those you care about is what really matters. Welcome to the MJ, well, LeBron episode of Pull Up, episode number 23. I guess the argument can start in future episodes on, you know, who's the best player to ever play the game, but... A lot's going on right now. We're, we're getting close to the season. The NFL season is underway on Sunday. I will be attending the Browns game. Got the sweep popping. Really looking forward to that. Uh, Nike released a, a very, very dope ad for Kaepernick, and some people liked it. Some people hated it. Some people are burning their air monarchs. So that's something we can also discuss. But without further ado, we have special guest Julius Thomas on right now. Born in Stockholm, California. Played at Portland State. Hooped played in the NFL, was drafted by the Broncos in 2011. Some of my fun facts on this research I've done, all-time leader for games played, career wins, and field goal percentage, made it to the NCAA tournament twice, and didn't start playing football in college until 2010, and recently announced his retirement from the NFL August 24th of 2018. But without further ado, Julius Thomas, welcome to the show, and Jordan Schultz, as always. Oh, man, you know, I uh, appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Um, you know, I think it's a pleasure to be with, be on with two guys that, that I respect and, um, you know, I actually uh, have spoken to before in private as well as um, publicly. So this is what's up. Uh, happy to have you on, man. Really, really happy to have you on. And uh, we, we briefly discussed uh, some of the things we're going to uh, talk about offline, basically, what you're doing now. Uh, you're in, in pursuit of a doctorate, if I haven't mistaken. So just, you know, kind of update us on on what's going on in your life right now, and then we can get back to, you know, discussing uh, football, where the state of the NFL right now, and obviously this, this Kaepernick ad that's been taking up the internet the last 24, 48 hours. Yeah, man, of course. Um, for me, you know, it's just, it's been a really big change in my life to make the decision to go back to school. Um, I kind of had did a lot of, you know, self-therapy and, you know, I've always been a reader and uh, you know, in the last couple of years, I really started reading a lot of philosophy and, you know, that took me to a lot of theology and, you know, I studied a lot of different religions and then that brought me around to, to psychology and understanding that, you know, there's a science that studies human behavior and human behavior is something that I find fascinating and I wanted to know more about. Um, but, you know, from my journey, from the different um, environments that I've been in, 
I realized that a lot of people are suffering from their trauma and the things that have gone on in their life. And it's really hindering them from, from reaching their full potential or from enjoying their lives. And, you know, none of us is exempt from emotional pain. And you see the, the mental disorders that we're starting to, that are starting to come more to light in our country. And you're also starting to see um, a lot of the awareness around um, brain injuries. And that was kind of something that I kind of uh, just moved into that space. So, you know, from meeting with the psychologists and talking about my interest in psychology, all their questions were about, you know, my fears about brain injuries and brain trauma. And when they started to talk to me more and more about it, I realized, man, this is something that I think uh, kind of chose me. And if I'm going to go back to school to get a doctorate and spend my time in, in learning and educating myself, I feel a responsibility to come back and, you know, and explain to my peers just, uh, just what's out there. Julius, what inspired you specifically to get to this point? Was it a certain play, a game, a season? You know, was it a gradual uh, progression where you felt like this was the path to take? Man, I think um, one of the biggest things was uh, checking in with what I felt was important. I think for, you know, most of us, you know, we have these, you know, you can call them programs and, you know, we're taught that these things are important. So those things, of course, they matter to us, um, you know, because maybe that we had a high school coach that put that into us or a parent or, uh, you know, a coach in the league. And for me, when I really started to check in with myself, I started to realize that I was starting to enjoy helping people more than I was enjoying my own success. And that was, uh, that was a scary moment for me. Um, but at the same time, it was a good one. Julius, what um, point did you get to starting to really think about mental health and stability and uh, brain trauma? When did this start to really creep into your mind? And, and when did it start to become an inspiration for you to, to do something about it? You know, I think the first uh, thing you have to do is realize it's inside of you. And once you realize, like, wow, everything isn't all good inside of me. You know, there's some, some issues in my life that I'm struggling with today because I didn't really, um, I didn't really pay the full attention to them that I needed to maybe when I was 12 or I didn't heal from those moments or I didn't talk to somebody about it. And those traumas, they start to trip you up further in life. Or for me, one of the big things was, you know, I have everything that the world told me I was going to want. I got the contract. I got the cars and the houses. I had these things, but I don't exactly have the inner happiness that I thought I was going to have. So once I learned that I had work to do and that there were things inside of me that they were troubling me, I started to be able to see everybody had that instead of looking at people like, Oh, they got it all together. And I'm the one suffering. I started saying, Oh, everybody probably in their own way is suffering a little bit. And that's something I could promise you. So then I said, well, why aren't people talking about this? Why aren't we doing more about this? So I started looking at my teammates, the people that I'm around, you know, in the off season, when you go into events and you go into these parties and everybody walks in there, Hey, how have you been? It's good, man. Everything's straight, but you know, it's not straight. And you know that we're not communicating it and then it's difficult to do. So that really was, was started pushing me into saying, Hey man, I want to, I want to make a life about helping people heal from their mental and emotional pain. And it's led me to where I'm at today. Oh, that's awesome, man. I think, as a kid, you dream about making it to the NFL, making it to the NBA, being a professional athlete, and you have all these ideas in your head of what it's going to be like. 
you know, you have the car you want picked out, you have the house you want picked out for moms and dad and, you know, the, the gifts, the jewelry you're going to buy. And then you get that stuff. And I think it's interesting how, as I talk to more and more athletes, we all start to realize that the material things aren't what makes you happy. It's, it's being able to enjoy the little things with family, that time spent, those vacations, being able to provide moments for those you care about is what really matters. And I think it's always interesting that people talk about money can't buy you happiness and, and how... You don't have you go from not having a lot of money to having a lot of money and, and not being content with it, you know, wanting other things, wanting that inner happiness. So I think it's always interesting to hear different anecdotes on people, you know, kind of sharing those stories about how they go from, you know, buying the car to still feeling numb. Like in KD discussed it, like we feel numb to certain things now to the point to where reading books, searching for knowledge, finding outside hobbies is kind of how we drive our day to day life. Yeah, that's um, I mean, you know, you know, as well as I do that. You know, it's really easy to come into the gym or come into the stadium and, you know, have the Louis bag on, the freshest shades and the $10,000 suits and then stand up on a post-conference after the game and you just had the game of your life and you really did everything that you had been spending your whole life to do and you, you put it on display that night. But as soon as you get on that bus, life is still real. You still got those problems. You still might have those problems in your relationships, you know, whether that be girlfriend, wife, um, you can still have those problems with, with your kids. Um, and you start to see people that continually um, are facing some of these issues and, and there's not reaching out. And there's not a lot of people that they think that truly understand them that they can talk to and, and go to for help. And that's when I started seeing that here's a space, here's a, here's an opportunity that's showing itself to me that I could really grow into that I could spend my time and go back and get educated and then come back and provide help for people in so many different ways. Julius, was the, was the locker room ever a place for you where you felt like you could vocalize, externalize those feelings and emotions, or was it always a place where you had to suppress it because of maybe you were embarrassed or you weren't sure how other guys would take it? No, I think the locker room, um, it is a place where, you know, you're able to, to voice some of those things. I think we all have different levels of vulnerability. So not every guy is being truly as vulnerable about the things that are really bothering them as others. But I also realized the locker room wasn't the best place to go for advice at times. So, you know, you have these existential, you know, problems. You have these things in life that you really need answers for. And they're outside of, you know, what your expertise is in. So who's, who's, in, who's really going to be in there to, to say, hey, man, I'm going to sit down with you and, and let's go uh, through some techniques to really help you recover from that hiccup that happened when you were 19 or that event in life that really hurts you at 26 so you can move through it. So, yeah, you're able to voice it, but the process of voicing it and then letting it go are completely different, and that's what, you know, I, I was starting to find that a lot of guys didn't have available. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point you bring up, the, the comfortability in the locker room and how everybody's not an intellectual, and some people prefer to have their business kept private and don't, don't want to discuss any issues or things they may be going through. So my question to you is, at what point did you seek a, a therapist, or you, you said you recently started reading books, or when you were I don't know, transitioning from college to the NFL once – once you realize that the, you had the contract in, in the bag, you had that that lifetime security of, of financial stability. At what point did you start to seek maybe a, a counselor or 
someone to kind of vent to it, like a therapist. Uh, I always ask my guests if they have a therapist, if they recommend one, uh, recommend athletes or just people that are just normally going through day-to-day stresses, if they have one. I think it's always great to start that conversation and just to show people that we're all vulnerable to, to certain stresses of life. Yeah, that's um, that's a great uh, question. So I think for me, is, you know, it's really hard to be in survival mode and growth mode at the same time. So it doesn't matter if, if other people may think you're in growth mode, if you still see yourself in survival mode, that's that's what you're operating under. And for me, I was operating under survival mode until I signed my deal with the Jags. And then I knew that, okay, I, I had reached my point where I knew I was going to have the financial security that I was looking for. Then like I talked about earlier, I also expected it to alleviate some of these stressors that I had. And, you know, it actually didn't do that at all. So... You know, I went to our team, um, our team psychologist, and I talked to him. I said, hey, you know, I'm really struggling with some of these things. You know, I'm really trying to, to work on my heart and really grow in my understanding of, you know, what does it mean to really love? And he led me to a book called uh, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And in her book, you know, chapter after chapter, her challenge was, are you willing to be vulnerable? And I really realized in myself that, not only was I not willing to be vulnerable, I wouldn't even acknowledge that, um, that I was vulnerable and that I had certain sensitivities. So, you know, kind of, um, what it takes to get there also is something that you have to transcend once you do find yourself in that place where you're now able to, to kind of transition out of that survival mode to growth mode, but how to do that was tough. So I just started seeking everything, you know, I, I was always a reader, but then I started reading, all kind of books, all kind of different genres. You know, I went to my faith and I really explored that. And I spent a lot of time understanding what that really means to me. And then I, I went and seeked other psychologists and other people. And then I started um, listening to audio books. I mean, I knew that this is a, a step that I had to take for myself um, as a man. And I really wanted to do it. So I just, I, I took it from, from so many different sources and, started to kind of build what, what I think I need to continue to thrive and really uh, get the most out of life. Julius, I, the first time I met you was in the Miami Dolphins cafeteria over a year ago, and I was covering training camp, and I was fascinated by you because you were reading. And it, it struck me, you, you, because you don't see that a lot in professional sports locker rooms. You don't see that in cafeterias. It's just not something that's especially common. And as we developed a friendship, I've noticed – uh, that you continually find ways to enhance your mind and become, you know, more refined. And, and it's just, it's it's a tribute to you. But I guess my question is, was that something you were ever embarrassed by uh, going back to your days in the NFL where you felt like kind of an outcast or you felt like you were different because you were reading, uh, you were curious? Uh, you know, I, you know I, to, to really kind of talk about how that, was for me, I think we had to go earlier and we had to look at why, you know, I started a nonprofit for myself called Reading Equates to Success because as a, as a young kid, um, you know, growing up in uh, the Valley in California, uh, everybody used to make fun of me. When I was sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, up through high school, it was like, bro, why are you reading? Like, that's weak to do. There's so many better things you're out here doing. That's corny. That's this. So that there was that negative stigma attached to it. And I kind of had to battle through that my whole life. So by the time I got to the league, 
it was no longer an emotional struggle for me. It was just something I did. But, you know, um, there was a, there was probably some people that felt that I should have been investing that time in the game and not investing that time in reading it and trying to make sure that, you know, my, my heart and my mind are in, in a healthy place, allowing me to truly experience and appreciate all the blessings that I've been given. So uh, I think that as I got um, later in my career, I got more respect as a veteran. I think people started to respect the fact that that was something I did. And I think that people started to see it and some people were encouraged and, you know, they would talk to me about books that, that they wanted to start reading or let me know that um, them seeing me reading really inspired them to pick up book and, and read some more. Uh, but I think that each person kind of had a different experience and probably a different emotion uh, to seeing me reading. But I think by the time I met you, it was just something that I was and, and I was already uh, known for that. So that always helps people accept it. Right. And that's an awesome story. And I think that as an athlete, you know, a guy who was deans uh, towards towards the latter part of my college career, we're often criticized for being intellectuals. And Jalen Brown, his knock was that he's too smart for his own good. I think a lot of times they try to stereotype us, put us in a box, and only want you to do one thing. They just want you to be an athlete. Uh, whatever sport it is you play, they want you to devote all your time to it. And sometimes the casual fan doesn't understand that. There's 24 hours in a day. Everybody uses them differently. Some people f prefer to go to the club, prefer, prefer to go out, do different hobbies. And for a guy to just want to read or just want to really challenge himself from an intellectual standpoint, I think it's it's crazy that, you know, a lot of times we get stereotyped. And as kids, uh, kids always, you know, they think video games, sports is, is the way of life and don't understand the importance and value of education. So it's dope to hear that you know, you're doing different things, you know, for kids and inspiring them and, and pushing them towards reading with your uh, Reading Equates to Success uh, Foundation. So that's dope, man. I would love to help out any way I can with that as well. I love to give back to the kids and especially uh, people that take the time to, to speak on my podcast. So any way I can help out with that, uh, let me know whether it's sending books or anything of that nature. Looking at CTE, obviously it's been a big discussion and on the last you know, four to six years, the movie Concussion came out with Will Smith in it and it, it, it placed an emphasis on the head-to-head -head contact and some of the issues that happens with the brain moving uh, within the, the actual skull. So just briefly, just discuss you know, CTE. Obviously, you've decided to retire. Um, the impact that's had on the sport itself and if you would potentially pick a different sport having known what you know now? Yeah, man, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, CTE is, it's, um, it's not very understood. So the hardest thing, um, psychologists and people that are studying the brain and, and neuropsychologists is trying to figure out how do we assess who's at risk? Because one of the, the only proven ways to know somebody has CTE has always been, you know, after they died, you know, you cut open the skull and you can see, um, you know, the, the CT on the brain. So what we're trying to figure out now is, okay, how do we identify people at risk for this? And, you know, there's some studies that are starting to take place. We're actually uh, going to start a study here at, uh, at NOVA and this should start kicking up in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to look at the CCL11 biomarker. And what that is, is going to be a blood test. And if we can see a, a high presence of that biomarker in your blood, it could be an indication that you could be suffering from CTE. And I think the big tag word in medicine right now is inflammation. So you look at uh, 
chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and you say, okay, well, these are it's, it's the chronic it's the chronic hits, and that's why people are are starting to have brain disease. But from looking at other neurodegenerative brain diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia, it's like how do we explain this, and and how are they linked? So what they're starting to to really want to look into is that could it be low inflammation over a long period of time that's causing these? And if that's the case, then you have a, a completely different thing to look at. Um, you know, from being an athlete, inflammation is a sign that something's wrong. And one of the most first important steps to healing for whatever injury you have is to remove the inflammation. But we can see the inflammation in our knee, our elbow, our hips, uh, ankles. You can't see it uh, through the skull. So we have to start finding out you know, what role is inflammation playing in these brain diseases and how is that tying in to the chronic impacts, the context sports athletes are having, and then what's that mean to them? Um, for me, it's not a decision of should you play football or should you not based on what I think. I believe that everybody has to weigh those pluses and minuses for themselves, but the scary thing is we don't know what it means long-term. We don't know how that's going to affect your memory how that's going to affect, um, you know, your behaviors. You know, you start having uh, brain disease, and it changes your everyday interactions in life. What's that mean for your, your wife? Because you're 33 now, and you're going to start experiencing all kind of different symptoms from brain trauma. How's that going to affect you at 56? What's that going to mean for you as a parent? So there's a lot of things you really got to figure out. Football is such a brutal sport. I look at it like there are two different ways to really improve the safety of it. One is the technique, and the second is the rules. You know, proper technique is one thing, but changing the rules is another. So where do you stand on that? Because if you go back to this preseason, Marquise Lee, the Jacksonville Jaguars receiver, he lost his whole season because a defender was trying to avoid a penalty. And I'm not sure that play would have happened had that defender decided, not decided last minute that he needed to duck his head and go lower because of the rule change? I think that I've been kind of split on this issue. I think it's really hard for me to to say what's more important, the technique or the rules. I think the technique is a long-term change, and that's going to have to take place over a while. You know, somebody got to the league with that technique. That technique took 13, 14 years to build. Now you, to ask somebody to switch their technique um, under the pressures of an NFL football game or before an NFL season, you know, that could lead to, to people losing their jobs. So that's really a lot of reason why people struggle to change their technique. It's changing the technique of hitting is almost comparable to changing a jump shot. Like that's hard to do at that level. Um, so the rules, they bring about the immediate changes and they try to immediately make the game safer. I think that one of the, the biggest rule changes that I um, probably expect is how often guys wear helmets in practice. I think that you're going to start to see helmets coming off more and more in practice so that during the games, um, people won't have as much inflammation going in. I think uh, it's kind of like boxing. You know, boxing is a very aggressive physical sport, but the way you train really helps you prevent injuries. So I think that you're going to start seeing that more and more in football. They're going to have to start really changing the way you train and practice to really help guys prevent injuries. And I think that's going to be good for the game and the athletes. 
Because I've heard that the helmet is a weapon. I've heard players say the helmet's a weapon just because you have a helmet on doesn't mean you're not vulnerable. And in fact, it can have the opposite effect, even though that's counterintuitive. Is that fair to say? Well, I think that um, a helmet allows you to do things that you wouldn't be able to do without it. And I think that that's where you see guys using um, certain techniques where they're coming helmet first. Uh, so, you know, I don't think that helmets are bad. Of course, they're safe. They're important for the events that people have helmet-to-helmet contact. But when you see techniques that are leaning on that protection of a helmet to give either the offense or the defensive player an advantage, I think those are the rules that you've seen them coming in and trying to stop immediately. If they notice that, hey, man, there's a trend defensively, the guys are tackling this way, and we think it's because the helmets are allowing them to do that, they change it. Or whether it was a couple of years back when they changed the, the rule for running backs and they won't allow them to lead with the crown of their helmet. You know, it was making them very difficult to tackle because if you want to bring somebody down, you got to get to their legs. But their backs were understanding that, you know, if I can extend my head – my legs are a lot further away from your arms, and it was making it unsafe for defensive players and their attempts to tackle. So the league is, is trying to do um, a better job of, of looking to remove some of the, the risks and the major head trauma. And, you know, i got to give them their credit for that. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head looking at the tackling, the form, what's happening. It's hard to change years and years of practice. It's like a guy that drives left all the time. He don't want to go right for a reason. And there's a reason why you can't stop him from going left. Uh, similar to Ginobili. You know, he went left for almost 20 years. It's There's a reason why we get to a certain point. I think the, the biggest issue in the NFL is trying to figure out when, a, when someone is defenseless, whether that's the receiver, the running back, the quarterback, when they're considered defenseless. If, if that's going across the middle, and you lead with the helmet or you hit them, you know, in that upper body, upper torso area where there's a big risk for injury. And then you change the target area. And now you have DBs trying to target legs and you're, and you're getting those lower, lower extremity injuries. So I think that's the, the next step or the biggest issue they're having to face is you, where you target, where you tell the players to target will depend on the type of injury that occurs, whether that's a concussion that could lead to CTE or a lower body extremity injury where it's, uh, MCL, ACL, broken leg. Yeah, I, I think that I think that they sometimes make it more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, for me, you know, everybody will probably say I'm biased from uh, playing a receiving position, but I think if you ask me, uh, a player is defenseless when when they're not looking, and I think it's as simple as that. If I'm going across the middle and I'm focused on the football, I my my priority is to catch the ball. I cannot be focused on defending myself. The moment I catch the ball, I only need half a second to, to, to start defending myself in some, in some type of manner. And I think it's, it's individual for each guy. But if you really start to look at it, it doesn't matter if it's a low hit or a high hit. The injuries are, recur- are occurring because people are actually defenseless. I mean, you can't be looking the ball in, whether it's a fade, whether it's even coming out the backfield and defend yourself from a hit. And then you start to see that those are the plays where that are scary. Those are the plays where guys stay down for a while. When I have the ball and I'm a runner, you see a very much increase, I mean, a decrease in injuries. Because guys, that's what they do their whole life. 
I know how to protect myself from taking a big hit. I know how to roll at the right times. I know how to lower my shoulder and get down. But I look at the scariest hits I take in my career. They were always when I was looking at the football. And, and that, for me, would be a simple definition of how to define who's defenseless and who's not. Whether it's low, whether it's high, it doesn't matter. If you're not looking at the defense and preparing to be hit, you're defenseless. How do we fix that? Is that fixable, Julius? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's fixable. I think that it makes it really tough um, on the defense because what if I'm on the sticks? What if it's third down and six and I run a six-yard route Right, and I catch the ball, and they got to give me a half a second. With that half a second, I'm now going to get a first down. So I'm safer, but now the defense is staying on the field. How does that affect the game? Well, maybe it makes more points scored. Um, but do I think it'll make the game safer? Yeah, of course. So I think that it would take, you know, um, having to go through and change those rules and each defense having to play under the same – uh, rules to make it fair and it'll change the game and we'll see some different things, but you'll still see a, a safer, exciting product. I think it's the same thing with the quarterbacks. You know, it's a lot of guys have issues with them protecting the quarterback's knees, but this quarterback, his eyes are downfield. His number one focus, you can't focus on two things at once. His focus is on delivering the football, but as soon as he lets it go and now his focus can go to something else, now the hits are legal. Now the hits are, are legal if you hit him in his in his midsection because he doesn't have a high risk of injury. If you hit him in his knees when he's looking downfield, now you have a higher percentage chance of having some type of ligament damage in a knee, and we all know that takes nine, ten months to recover from. So, yes, I think we can make the game safer by changing the rules, but it also uh, takes a commitment uh, on the players to really be okay with those rule changes. Yeah, I agree. I briefly discussed uh, Colin Kaepernick, so I have to I have to bring it up again and kind of get your take on the entire situation, starting with obviously, you know what's happened with him not being able to get back into the league. There's a there's a starter in a couple cities where the quarterback play, and I don't really like to talk about fellow professional athletes, but there's some quarterbacks out there that he's clearly better than whether that's starter or backup, and he's not on the roster. So just your thoughts on him not being on the roster, and then briefly discuss what you thought about the the ad Nike recently released with the Just Do It and, and kind of using him as one of the faces along with Serena Williams, uh, Odell Beckham, and uh, Griffin, who is now playing for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, um, I don't think that there's any question that uh, Cap's good enough to play quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> I don't, I mean, anything I say, I can try and be political about it, but he's good enough to play in the NFL. The fact that he's not on the NFL roster right now is just clear that teams don't want to have to deal with what comes with having him. And for each team, I'm sure it could be a different reason or, um, you know, a different stance that they have. So I don't want to say what their stance is, but he's definitely a good enough player to be playing NFL football. And anything outside of that or anything somebody says, I think is is just choosing to be ignorant um, as far as the ad, I haven't checked out the ad yet, but um, I actually, of course, I saw the hate before I even saw the ad. And I just want to applaud Nike, man. Uh, I know that there's going to be some people that are still having a, an emotional reaction to him, to people supporting him. 
And I think that's kind of, that's kind of crazy. Like, you know, I can agree that he's not having the same stance on some issues in our country as everybody else, but that's fine. I mean, I can't even, I can't even go down the street without seeing some people that choose to live their life different than me. And I respect that. And regardless of whether that's what I would choose to do with my day or what I like to do in my off time, that's cool. And if they're, if they're focused on that, I believe in respecting them and allowing them to do that. So it's still, it's still kind of shocking and um, crazy for me to think that people are upset at Nike for using him in a campaign and saying that, Hey, our company is committed to social equality. I mean, that's all Nike said. They didn't, Nike didn't say anything about um, the flag. I'm sure they just, Hey, we're committed to social equality. And that's why we put him in a commercial. And for people to have issue with that, that's kind of a, that's kind of tough. Julius, I want to go back to um, one more question for you about, about CT and, and brain trauma specifically. I guess my biggest thing is like, I feel like we as fans, we, we normalize a lot of it. We hear terms like, oh, he's being tested for a concussion. He can play, he can't play. But it just becomes normal normal and part of our daily vocabulary. So, you know, like I, I'm just like, do, do you guys as players, are you talking about this stuff? And then do you, taking it a step further, Julius, can you describe what your ultimate goal would be with these amazing efforts that you're going forward with? Yeah, I um I try not to speak for my peers uh, as much as I can because I don't I don't want everybody to assume that they have the same beliefs as me. But yeah, I personally didn't witness a lot of deep conversation about CTE. To be honest, it was something that you know we kind of talked about, uh, kind of jokingly, not to make light of the seriousness of it, but because humor helps you get through things that are tough to understand. Humor helps you get through things that you're fearful about. And, you know, as a player, you don't really think too much long-term and that's, and that's what people are, they don't understand on the outside is as a, as a professional athlete, you're talking about 50, you're talking about 60, you're talking about next year. Every single moment is so important. I can't think past the next rep, the next meeting, the next game. I'm not thinking long-term. Everything you do is in the moment. You, it takes so much focus and effort to just stay at the level you're at. Not to mention improve that you're not thinking about long-term health effects. You're a football player and you're trying to make it out of that game without limping off the field, without ending up in the orthopedic surgeon's office on Monday or getting taken out on a stretcher. Your your physical health is moment to moment, and you know that it's your responsibility to protect that. So to think about, oh, man, 20 years from now, I might really have serious memory loss. How, how can you focus on that when you got to pick your feet up on this play or you're going to lose an ankle or a knee? <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> That's deep. So uh, and my goal, uh, my goal one is, to, to push myself intellectually to a, a level that I haven't previously been able to, to truly go after before. You know, my focus has always been physical 
and and I'm talking about weight training, sleep, eating, everything, the whole 24-hour process that goes into just having your body healthy enough to practice the next day. Um, so now I get to put that energy and effort into really stretching my mind. And what I want to do with that is I hope to be able to provide therapy for those high-stress individuals, for those guys that, you know, they're really struggling to find somebody that they can talk to that they feel like understands them and can feel them. I think there's this term knowing and I go, well, is that just understanding? Cause I think to know something, you have to be able to understand it and feel it. And I think that because of what I've been through and the things that, that I've been able to achieve in my life, you know, I'm well positioned to help guys and, and women or, you know, and this is just outside of sports, but just those people in those high stress um, environments really start to connect with who they are. Because I think that that's going to have an actual trickle-down effect. I think that, that love trickles down. I don't think that everything trickles down, but, but love does. And to help those people really have that self-actualization and that, that inner strength, and then they're going to go touch the lives of thousands and millions of people, that would be great for me. And the other thing I want to do, which I feel I kind of have a responsibility to do, is understand brain injuries. This is something that I can give scientists a unique perspective that they wouldn't be able to have any other way. You don't really get to have many opportunities where the people that have went out there that science is researching to help can sit in the same room and start to talk and give you their perspective. And for me to be able to do that, I think I would be doing a disservice to, to my peers to not invest that time and energy into helping us grow in our understanding of the risks we face and then bringing that message back and helping them understand it. I mean, not a lot of guys can just sit there and listen to PhDs talk and then truly understand what their, uh, what that message is and what it means to them. And I think that I'm, I'm uniquely positioned to kind of be that bridge. That's incredible. I think, I, I think that's incredible what you have in place and you know, your thought process for all of this is, is well, well ahead of your time being able to, process you know what you want to get out of life how you want to continue to impact the lives of high stress individuals i think that's that's great and, and people need help advice um being able to talk to someone who's actually played the game who's actually gone through a lot of stressors that are unique and different than day-to-day -day stresses of working at nine to five because we got that physical stress the body is sore your body's aching you have those injuries you have that that uh, physical grind of trying to get to this level, then you make it, and then you have to pivot. And I think that's that's important that you discuss that, that pivot, being able to go from professional athlete to what's next, and being able to see that before 30, before 40, is uh, extremely impressive, man. So that, I know, I think Jordan has one more question for you, and then I have to ask you some questions about the Cleveland Browns before we get off of here. <laughs> All day. Julius, I, uh, I was so touched by your piece in the Players' Review, and I would really recommend everybody to read it called journey into self. Um, but one story stood out and it was, you talk about your relationship with Jacob Tammy, who was a veteran tight end. You talk about you're in your fourth league, you're in Denver and he tells you, you know, I think you can have a, a much bigger impact and how at the time, like you said earlier, you were just trying to survive and make it and be a star. But how years later you saw him when you were with the Jags and you said to him, thank you. So for me, like I, I, that's growth right there. So how do you take that growth that you've experienced? How can you help others transform and experience the same type of growth? Well, um, you know, I personally believe that 
you, you can't grow in anything until you have a realization. And that realization is whatever takes you into understanding something that you didn't understand before. I mean, I think that I really believe in people. I believe that everybody wants to be their best. And I think that if they identify an area where they can grow in, then maybe they're not ready to invest a lot of time into it at that moment. But they'll always remember, man, I can do better and I can be better. That awareness is kind of opened up. So if you talk about what that means for me, that means that it's just I can sprinkle little seeds too. I think there's sometimes we get so enamored and we kind of get anxiety about, you know, how are we going to fix this big problem or how are we going to develop a, a redwood tree in somebody's life so that they're able to, to grow to those, those uh, levels. And then now I know it doesn't take all that. I can just plant seeds. I could spend 30 minutes uh, on an airplane sitting next to a teammate and I can just start talking to them about maybe how they feel. And that might have been the only time in a month that somebody asked them, how do you feel? And then maybe they just start thinking about it. Like, man, you know, I was talking to Julius the other day. He asked me how I feel. I didn't even really know. Should I know how I feel? And there's all these little, these little things we can do to really help people. And I'm going to use that in, in my story of saying, wow, I had so much growth that I didn't even know was ahead of me, but somebody saw it. And they saw it and they mentioned it to me. So now it's my responsibility to do that too. And that's what compassion is all about. So if I can help somebody in the littlest way, I'm just as quick to do that as I am to do it in the biggest way. And I don't water the seeds. Life's going to water them. And then everybody's going to reach the levels that they're supposed to be. That's valuable. People don't normally ask us how we feel. They ask us for money. Straight <laughs> can up. we help them <laughs> with something? So being able to have a normal conversation with somebody where you don't get asked. I think Charles Barkley said it. He said he'd kill himself if, if he'd go a week without somebody asking him for something. He said he'd kill himself. Yeah. So that kind of shows you the the lifestyle we live and how it's a what can you do for me type of type of world yeah. at this point. But And we appreciate you coming on. Before we let you go, I need two book recommendations. I got one that I can go back and get from you, but I need two more book recommendations from you that I can add to my arsenal. Man, um, I think um, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, that was um, that was a good one. It really helps you start to, to be able to step back and have an objective view of life and not a subjective view of life. And that really is going to, I think, allow you to, to really start having that awareness of what's going on in each situation inside of yourself and then allow you to better um, kind of navigate those. Um, I think the other one is um, The Mindful Athlete uh, by George Mumford, a guy that, that I've kind of been studying under, and he's really been allowing me uh, to help find my place of, of that inner peace and, and handle, like he listed, my five superpowers um, that are going to allow me to, to be in the eye of the hurricane or to be in that space between stimulus and response where it's always good there. And those two books, I think, would be, be very powerful for you. I appreciate that. I got those locked in. And then over under five and a half wins for my Browns this season. Over. Oh, yes. I knew you was a real one. I think they're going um, I think they're gonna do better than they've done in the past, man. You know, my boy uh, Juice is out there. Um, you know, I, I think that Pat 
and here are great coaches. Um, I think that Tyrod Taylor can go, you know. So, you know, I, I believe that they're going to go over. That's what I like to hear, man. I appreciate I appreciate there you. There you go, CJ. I appreciate you spending some time with us, man. I'm gonna get your number from uh, Jordan and lock you in, and uh, we can discuss in further detail how I can help out with some of the stuff you're doing for the kids uh, in regards to education and, and continue to promote the, promote their reading habits. No, oh, that's what's up, man. Maybe we'll um we'll do something up there in Portland in your neck of the woods when I when I come up there to to see all my people, man. Uh, we could do something for the community up there. For sure, man. If you need tickets or anything, let me know. I got you, CJ. That's Portland State. Not only is it Portland State Vikings, I played the pro against Portland State. I don't think Julius was on the floor because I would remember that. <laughs> However, I'm pretty sure that Julius can give you ten and six right now. Ten and six. That's ten and six is forty million. Fifty. Julius, 50 what do you million. think? I'm not saying eighty-two. Ga- not eighty-two games, but if you need a ten and six performance, couple blocks. Julius is your six. guy. That's, that'll get you 40. No chance. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> he said no chance. He can get the six for sure. That 10, 10 is going to be hard 10. to come by. People, real hoopers know the 10. There's a lot of people not getting 10. But I'll tell you right now, I'm going to get the six. <laughs> I believe it. I got, I got six fouls. I'm going to get those six rebounds. <laughs> I, I can guarantee you that. There it is. I believe it, man. But I appreciate you coming on, man. Julius, thank you, man. You were terrific. All right, man. Y'all too. Once again, I want to thank Julius Thomas for coming on. A very, very intellectual guy, smart, polished, wants to do a lot of good for everyone out there, especially athletes and people that are dealing with high levels of stress. So appreciate you coming on. We'll be back next week. Also, before we go, I wanted to make a quick announcement. There will be a pull-up fantasy football league starting this week where Jordan and I can play against you or our loyal pull-up listeners. Check in on my Twitter this week for more details. Really looking forward to whipping up on all of you guys and showing you that I have more than just basketball knowledge. I have football knowledge as well. You can catch us anywhere you get your pods and also via radio.com. You can get their app or head to app.radio.com backslash CJ for your weekly dose of pull up. And don't forget to pull up, pull up. 